Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to bless this time as we look at the at your word, have us see what you would have us to see from that. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Micah, chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Declare you not at Gath, weep not, weep you not at all in the house of Aphroth. Roll yourself in the dust. Pass you away, you inhabitants of Safir, having your shame naked, the inhabitant of Zaanan come not forth in the morning of Beth Ezel. He shall receive you, receive of you his standing. For the inhabitant of Makarath waiteth, wait, waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord into the gate of Jerusalem. O you inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift horses. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in, in you. Wherefore shall you give presents to Moresh Ethkoth, the house of Achzib, shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Yet will I bring an heir unto you, O inhabitant of Mereshah. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel, Make you bald and, and pull you of your delicate children. Enlarge your baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into the captivity from you. All right, so we're going to look at this. There's a lot of play on words here when he picks these names of the cities because the names of the cities usually refer to what he's telling them to do. So we're going to kind of look at some of these. Uh, de declare you not at Gath. Now, Gath is part of... Philistine of the Philistine country and Philistia Philista is to the southwest of uh, Israel it is on the coast of the Mediterranean just above Egypt and that is the area that used to be called Philist the, the land of the Philistines and that's where Goliath comes from that's where they give Israel a lot of trouble over all their existence so he says, don't, don't declare it in Gath, weep not at all. And this is, he's starting to talk about all the punishment that's coming upon Jerusalem for their sin that we talked about in last week. They, they've been sinning, they've gone into idolatry, and God is bringing judgment on them. And remember that Micah is, is talking pretty early on in Israel's, in Judah's, uh, in Israel's existence. Hezekiah, uh, uh, Uriah is still still preaching, so he's right about the middle of their time of existence, and so and Hezekiah and all these different kings we talked about last week that he's that he is uh, prophesying during that time. So he's he's preaching to the to the group that is just now starting to get into the sin, and talking about another couple hundred years later when they're going to be taken into captivity. So he's telling them, don't, don't declare, don't weep in, in Gath. It says, in the house of Aphrael, which, which is a city, and it means dust. <laughs> and he says, you know, in the house of Rathal, roll, roll yourself in dust. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's doing a lot of play on words when he picks these city names. He's, he's saying, you know, if you think about this, when you hear about somebody who's in repentance, they go into... They tear their garments usually, and then they throw ashes and dust over their heads to show that they're in repentance. And basically saying, don't waste your time. God's not listening. <laughs> because you're not, you've been so rebellious for so long that he's bringing judgment on you even if you go into repentance. And there is a point in time where we as a people, an individual, or even a people or a nation can go so far that God is saying, okay, you've just gone too far, I'm going to punish. And we see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. They had gone so far, then God punished them. We see it in, in Nineveh, where Jonah went to Nineveh and they, they repented, but another 200 years later, they were back to the same place and they were judged. And we see this over and over again, where God brings judgment upon the people. Israel went so far that they were judged and, and went into captivity with the Assyrian uh, nation and then Judah continued to, to rebel and a hundred years later were taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire and at those there comes that point where God says I've had enough you're going into Into judgment and we can do that as individuals where God says okay you haven't listened I'm going to put you into into a 
maybe not as serious a captivity, but a time of rough time, you know, which is, might as well be captivity because everything is going bad, everything's going wrong, and God's saying, are you ready to finally get around to repenting? And God always will do this. If we want to live a lifestyle that demands judgment and, and punishment, he will give us basically what we've asked for. Now, it's amazing how many times people will say, well, I just can't see how God can send somebody to heaven. Well, he's not a hell. He's not sending anybody to hell. He's given them what basically they've asked for. When we misbehave and go into judgment, he's not sending us into judgment. He's giving us what we've been asking for. Now, maybe we're not sitting there going, God, I really want to go into judgment. <laughs> you know, that's not really what we're saying. But you know, we live a lifestyle that says to God, hey, I really want to go into judgment. And if you haven't been there, you've probably been there at some point in time in, in life where you just, God is saying, I want you to change this. And you're going, no, I don't want to change this. And God says, okay, let's put you into little trials and hardships until you decide you want to agree with me. And this is what God has really been pressing on me lately. He wants us to agree with him when we're doing wrong. Because until we agree with him, we're not willing to change. And that, that will include anything from really the, the big sins of being a drunk or a thief or an adulteress or a fornicator, all the way down to just not wanting to change something that God's asking us to change that, that is just seems so small to us, but God's saying, I want you to change this. Okay, I want you to give this over to me so that I can rule more in your life. And it may or may not be a sin. It just means something that God says, I want you to be willing to give up. Because we look at Abraham, God said, are you willing to give up Isaac, the promised son? And Isaac says, and, and Abraham said, okay, if that's really what you want me to do, I'm going to, because you said he's the promise, you're going to restore him unto me somehow. You know, that took a lot of faith to say, this is the promised son. This is the one that God told me I was going to have. It was a miracle child. God, if you want him, you can have him, but I don't understand. And he was willing to do that. And there are many places in our life where God says, are you willing to give up this area of your life, which is almost becoming an idol? Because you can, you can almost picture that Isaac had become almost to that point of being an idol for him. You know, he was what was most important, probably even being more important than God. Because this was his promise, the promised son. You know. And so God was saying, are you willing to give him up for me? Hard decision, isn't it? But what in our lifetime can God say, are you willing to give this up for me? And that's going to be different from everyone, for every one of us. Every one of us has something in our life that can come real close to becoming an idol in our life, if it isn't already. And God comes along and he says, okay, this is, this is vying for me, vying with me. Are you willing to give it up? And he will eventually force that issue for us to give it up. He, he, he asks us to voluntarily give it up, maybe several times. And then he'll bring hardship into our life to say, okay, you want that more than me? You can have it. And he withdraws and says, let's see how your idol holds up without me. And here he's telling the people, you're not repenting. I'm not going, you know, I'm not going to help you. He says, pass, a, pass you away or through your, you inhabitant of Sephar. And Sephar means fair okay you inhabitants of the fair area the, the, the fair is in pretty not not fair is in a, in a county fair having your shame naked and here it says naked means exposed having your your shame exposed how many times in our lifetime does God come around come through and expose our weaknesses our, our shameful activities if we don't repent way, way more often than we would like. And he tells us that the, the, the higher you are in, in responsibility before people, the more people have to see that shame. And we see people like televangelists who have, who have gone into sinful activities and their shame is announced to the entire world because they have such a high profile. And God says, no, you're not going to get away for, your sin is not going to be hidden. And Jesus said that your sin will be you're shouted from the housetop. You know, he says you can't keep it hidden. You know, our desire as humans is to keep it hidden and, and, and try to keep it in the dark. The problem with that is Satan loves to use sin that's hidden 
to, to try to bind us up and keep us from doing things. Here we see God is saying, you're going to be exposed. Your sin will be exposed. We've all been there in some time in our life where our sin has been exposed to others. It's much better for us to repent before God, find somebody that can help hold us accountable for and talk to them and say, you know, hey, I just need you to help me be accountable, especially for us, especially for us men, because we don't like to share our, our problems a lot of times. It's very important for us to have a one or two other men that we can just go and share and tell them, this is who I am, and this is where I need prayer, and I'm giving you permission to hold me accountable for these areas. Because number one, we don't like to do that. And, and number two, it does need to be exposed because if Satan loves it to be something, well, if they really knew what you were doing now, would they, would they like you? And it's, it's good that you've gone to some people and say, hey, this is who I am, and know that you're still loved. Okay, and that doesn't mean you stand up front of the whole church and tell them all about your problem. No, you don't want to do that because there, there are people in every church that don't need to hear your problems because they will spread it to everybody and hold it against you, unfortunately. I mean, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. Jesus said that the wheat and the tares will grow together until the end when God makes the judgment. There are wolves in the church. There are tares in the church. There are false people that aren't followers of Christ that look like they're followers of Christ you know, in, the, in the church. So we want to be very careful with that. Uh, it's not stand up in, the whole, in front of the church and tell everybody, but it is find somebody that you can tell and say, this is, this is my weaknesses. And that way they can hold you, help hold you accountable for it. And here he's saying, you know, your, your shame, your, your, the shameful things you have will be exposed. And it's a guarantee. Jesus said it himself. And it says, the inhabitants of Za'anan come not forth in mourning. And Za'anan means, where's my writing on what that means? It means pointed. They're, they're pointed out. And they are not to come out in, morn, in mourning of Beth Ezel, which is the house of narrows or straits, narrowing, tightening, tightening. And so oftentimes when we're walking in our flesh, we see that God says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to me except through the Father. He it says the gate is narrow. But when we enter that narrow gate and we enter into the freedom of, of God, it opens up into a grand... <laughs> opening. The wide way that he talks about is just like when they herd animals out in a, out in a big field and they, and they work them in and the fence narrows and narrows and narrows until they end up in a chute that leads to the truck or the wagon or whatever it is, whether they're branding them or taking them off to the market for slaughter. The wide path ends up in a narrow spot. And it's the same thing in, in the world. The wide path leads to death. Okay, so it narrows and narrows down until they can't get out. It makes it very tight squeeze. We enter in in a very narrow one, one way, but then the freedom we have in God is so precious. He allows us freedom, and it is a wonderful place to be. And sin ends up at a very narrow <laughs> one, one destination, whereas the way of life ends up into freedom. You know, we're free from the law because Jesus paid the law. Now, we honor him through the law because he is, you know, the law, and we've said this over and over, the law is the character of God. So the more I act and, and become like Christ, the more I will obey the law. But there's a huge amount of freedom in it. It's not the binding up. The Jews, for each law, has hundreds of rules and how it's applied. It really narrows it down. And God is saying, I just want you to have freedom. Here's your freedom. It's paid. It's complete. And, and we don't desire the wrong things because we're looking after what he desires. And we see it opening into a wide place. It says, for trans the transgression of Israel... Whoops. Uh, oh, verse 13. O inhabitants of Lachesh, which is, which is literally, it means invincible... You know, bind up the chariot and the swift horses. She is the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. Sin comes and attacks God's people, especially when God's people are not honoring God. 
and that's kind of hard, to, harsh to think of, but you know, we do it all the time ourselves. You know, maybe not all the time, but frequently, we get caught up in sin, knowing better, and just refusing to repent sometimes, and sin comes even more in a very harsh way upon us when we're when we're in that position. Other times we're walking with God and, and we've got our slate clean, we've, re, we've, we've confessed our sins, we've repented, and we're hiding in God, and, and the sin comes to try to get us, but all it finds is God. Other times we're standing outside the door unrepented, thinking that we can handle everything, and we're getting run over. Yeah. The chariots. <laughs> the chariots with swift horses are running us over, and we're being knocked down, and, and we end up finally, eventually, repenting and crawling, crawling back to God in a, in a very battered and bruised, maybe even bloody state, at least in the spirit. And we come back to him with repentance and, and in tears and, and get back into hiding with him. And we went through things that we didn't have to go through. And, and I say this, have you ever gone through life and, and you kind of look back and you say, Wow, a lot has happened to me over the last six months, years, two years. But I really didn't notice it because I was walking with God. Hopefully you've been there, where, everything, where you're so focused on God that nothing seems to, to be that bad. Another time you're walking along and this little, little problem comes and knocks you for a loop and, you, and because you're not in God, you're not paying attention to God and you're trying to do things in your own strength and, and you're kind of looking up like, what, what just happened? It didn't seem to be that bad, but it kind of knocked you around. And other times you're in Christ and these big problems come along and you don't even notice them. And sometimes these little problems or even a big problem that we're trying to do ourselves can keep us from God. Because we get knocked down and we say, God, why'd you let that happen? Well, he let it happen because we weren't hiding in him and, and we, he wasn't the one that received the, the attack. And we see this, and again, I come back to, to the Psalms class that we've been talking, where God says, I'm your strong tower, I'm your, I'm your shield, I'm your buckler, run into me and hide. And God is saying, stay in him. Stay in him, and he will be our defender. And he will be the protector. And he will help us through those hard times, because the storm will be breaking on him. And there's nothing better to be in a nice, strong building when a storm is coming at you. When I, when I lived in Guam and, and, a, and a typhoon came along, we didn't worry about typhoons because we lived in a, in a cinder block house that, you know, uh, to blow cinder blocks away would take a very strong storm and we really weren't thinking that any typhoon was going to be that strong to blow away cinder blocks, okay? Uh, so you have that comfort, you know. If we were in this building with all the brick around us, you know, we think about the storm that it would take to knock this building down. Most of chloride would disappear before you know, this building got blown down. Uh, there's a few other brick, and brick buildings, but you know, you know what I'm saying. There's a lot of buildings around here that are just wooden, wooden and would be blown away long before <coughs> this structure. And this structure is nothing compared to being hiding in God in life. So we, just using that as an example is that we hide. We look for that protection from him. When the swift animals come, you know, the chariots are, are no, have no effect on the stone, stone fortress. They, they can ride around it all they want. They're not going to knock it down. So God is our protector. And the transgression of Israel was found in Jerusalem when he's preaching, when he's prophesying. And we see throughout their history, Jerusalem up back and forth depending on what king was ruling them and oftentimes they were living in sin and God is saying I'm bringing judgment if you don't correct now Hezekiah was a good king Jotham and Ahaz were not very good kings so we see in this whole thing that these kings are not the great kings that they should be and this is the ones he's prophesying against and we see here and it says verse 14 therefore shall you give Give presents to Mor Shehethgath, which is the house of Gath, is what it means, and the houses of Akzib, which literally means deceit. <laughs> so the name of this place, the house was deceit, and it says that the houses of deceit shall lie to the kings of Israel. Okay, so he does a lot of he does a lot of play on words through here, and he's saying 
You know, those that are going to lie are going lie to <laughs> lie to you. And you know, how many times has that happened? We, the world comes to us and it pretends to be our friend. The world pretends to have a good idea and say, you know, this is what you really should do. And you know what? If we don't listen to God, it may even sound good. You know, you really should do this. And, and, and it sounds good. Our flesh resonates to it and says, yeah, it sounds like a really good idea. And God is saying, listen to me. It's not a good idea. And yet we walk in the lie. And this is where we are in our world right now. The world and the world system is lying to us all the time. Our television, our radio, our songs, our books, all these things tell us lies. And if we're not careful, we get wrapped up in the lies of the world and walk away from God. And God is saying, be aware. They're lying to you. Does that mean we're always going to understand their lies? No. That's why we've got to be in the book. That's why we've got to be in the Spirit. Sometimes when we're walking in the Spirit, there will be that warning saying something's wrong and we don't know what's wrong because what they say it sounds so good. And then if we obey the Spirit's warning, we kind of He will show us later on oftentimes what was wrong. And there's been many times where somebody says, well, I want to come up and say this to the church and I'm going, I don't think so. And then later on, God kind of reveals to me what it was they were wanting to do, which would have been a hurt, you know, harmful to the church. But what they had originally said was not, did not in the first part sound that bad. But this warning bell in the back of my mind says, no, don't do this. You know, how many times do we ignore that warning bell and get in trouble? You know, get ready to do something. It's just as that nagging in the back of our mind, don't do this, don't do this, and we go ahead and do it anyway. And then find out, man, that was a terrible decision. <laughs> I've had plenty of those in my lifetime. Sometimes I even thought that that was what God wanted me to do. And then found out that it hurt, not just me, but as the father of my and, and husband, hurt my family. And this is very important for us to be able to listen to God's gentle warnings. And you know, the Spirit does not scream at us usually. <laughs> he very quietly talks to us and we have to listen. Uh, I believe it was uh, Elijah who, who had the thunders and the lightnings and the hurricanes and, God, and he says the voice of God wasn't there. And he said the still, small voice. We have to be listening for him. We have to have our spirit ready to listen. Because he is not going to sit there and yell, yell loud enough to get over the clamor of our life. He wants us to spend time in his word, in prayer, quieting our souls so that we can hear that still small voice. And this is one of the reasons it's important to have some period in our day where we are spending time with God in His Word, meditating, praying, and spending time just listening. Listening for the voice of God to speak to us in some way. Most of the time it'll come from His Word. He'll, he'll say something, we're reading His Word, and He'll say, He'll stop us for a moment and say, pay attention to this. And it's amazing to me how often, and you all know I do expository teaching. I go verse by verse through the book. But you know what's most amazing to me is as I go verse by verse through the book, each of the books, it's just what the church needs to hear at the time it's being taught. And it's just an amazing thing how God does that. It, it's his word and he makes it happen. But it is amazing. It's amazing if you're following a reading plan in the Bible, how... You read that you know, read the verses for the day that have nothing to do that were planned a long time ago and you look at it and it's just what you need for that day's walk. God is very good at keeping his word live and quick and important for us. And here he's saying the kings will be lied to. Well the kings will be lied to because they're not listening to God. <laughs> because God is truth. And the more truth we know the easier lies are to, to understand. I've heard it said that the way they teach treasury agents to find counterfeit bills is not to show them every possible way that it can be counterfeited. It's to give them nothing but real bills for a period of time. And you handle the real often enough, long enough, that all of a sudden, uh, as your test when you graduate, they'll, they'll slip one false bill in, never having taught you really all the stuff to look for, but as soon as you touch it or, and look at it, you recognize it as false because it's not real. 
Okay? How do we know Satan's activities and the world's activities? We get to know God so well that we know the truth so that when the, when the false comes in before us, we may not know exactly what's wrong with it. It's just not right. And then we look at it a little closer and we go, oh, this is what's not right about it. But this is how we get to know the truth. How do we defend ourselves against all the different religious ideas and cults that are out there? We get to know the Word of God and what it says about Jesus and who He is and how we're saved. Then when we hear something that, doesn't, that isn't in that area, we go, oh, I don't know what's wrong with it right now, but it's not right. I don't know what's wrong. And we can, then we, when we can look at it a little closer, okay, that's what's not right about it. When somebody tells you that you've got to work hard to keep your salvation, God says it's a... It's by, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when you get somebody teaching you, well, you've got to do this, this, that, and this to, keep, to make sure you stay, that, you're, that you're saved, you go, your message isn't right. Because it's by grace. It's by grace. Does that mean we're not going to get good works? No, again, it, because Christ changes who we are and we become more like him, we're going to do good works. But it's not works so that I can get saved or stay saved or please God. It's doing works because I am becoming who he is. And I hope you understand the difference on that. It's, it's a simple, very minute difference. It's not I'm doing works because I have to. It's because he is changing who I am and I am doing them because this is who I now am. I'm becoming more like God, therefore I obey him. Instead of trying to be obedient to him to make him happy with me. And when we're doing it for that reason, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We're trying to discipline our flesh and gain pleasure from God. Wrong motivation. Trying to discipline our flesh. God doesn't accept our flesh. He doesn't accept things done in our flesh. And he's just going to look at it and say, man, I'm so sorry that you're not doing it for the right motivation. But if we just let him crucify our flesh, change who we are, and then we start doing it, he's going, oh, don't I love that? I'm, you're bringing me out to the world. And that is what changes people. And when they touch us, touch that life, they see the genuineness of that change. And you can, you can tell sometimes the difference between somebody who's working to try to please God and others and those who are just serving God. For one thing, the one who's just serving God doesn't really care whether you believe it or not. Because that's who you are. You're just loving them the way God wants you to love them. Because God is in you loving them. And if you've ever been around somebody who's loving you because they're trying hard to love you, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of differences because they'll get angry when you, don't, when you don't appreciate what they've done. They'll get, you know, well, I'm just not going to keep doing it if you're, not, if you're not going to accept it. That's not God's love. And sometimes we try to use these things, you know, we try to pretend to use God's love to try to manipulate somebody. Well, if I do good to them, maybe they'll do good to me. Well, you know, there's a lot of truth in that statement, but that's not true love. That's manipulation. That's Satan's activity. God loves them even if they don't love you in return. God loves the sinner who's headed to hell before rejecting him, and he still loves them and holds out the gift of his salvation to them and saying, I still love you. I want you to spend eternity with me. Even though you're rejecting me, even though you're, you're belittling me or attacking me, I still want you to come in to my fellowship. And so we've got to be careful to love that same way. I want to go back a little bit. I've been wanting to ask you, what do you mean The flesh is anything that is not of God. That is who we are as a human being, a sinful being. The flesh represents sin. Our body, our body is made out of flesh. We want to sin because that's who we are in our flesh. Our flesh wants to sin because it's filled with the, it's filled with the sin nature. It's all part of the flesh as far as the day-to-day -day activities. Our soul and our flesh want to sin. God comes into our life and he, he makes us a spiritual being, a, a new creation, basically resurrect spirit that was put to death when Adam and Eve sinned. We have a spirit in us, but the spirit is dead before we become, become saved. And then he brings this spirit alive. And then Paul says the spirit and the flesh, uh, the soul are battling with each other for the rest of our life. And the one we feed is the one that will win out and, that, and we're hopefully we're feeding the spirit. 
but oftentimes we feed the soul and the, and the, and the flesh. Satan, Satan tempts us, but it's us who decides to sin. We have the, uh, in the New Testament we're told, we have the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay? Eyes, what we see. Okay? What do we see? Oftentimes we want what we see. We covet what we see. Or even worse, we, we lust after what we see and desire, I want it. I want it so bad I'm willing to do anything. The lust of the flesh has the same desires flesh wants to be fulfilled and gratified and then the pride of life just literally I want what's best for me because I'm alive and I want you know you know at all those are all those all the areas and, and Satan works on those areas tempts us with our eyes tempts us with the desires of our flesh the desires of I want the best things that I can get in life whether I deserve them or not or whether whether I work hard for them or not you know uh, some people will say, I'm going to get it by hard work. Others will say, I'm going to get it by stealing it from others. But they're going to try to get everything. So the flesh is all of the world's system, and it's against God. And the, the spirit is what God gives us, and he dwells with us in our spirit, with our spirit. And it's basically at war. And Paul says in Romans 6, 7, and 8, you know, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, woe is me. Because the spirit and the flesh and the, and the soul are at battle with one another. The spirit that God has given us wants to do good and right because it's connected to God. Our flesh and our soul is, is connected to this world system. And this is why in Galatians 2.20 it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. He's wanting to crucify our, our fleshly, worldly desires and live in the spirit. And when we're first starting out as a Christian, in our early days, the flesh usually wins and the spirit is learning to grow. Okay? As God builds the spirit up and feeds the spirit and grows the spirit, we start seeing more and more of the flesh disappearing. Will we ever see all of this flesh disappeared? Not in this lifetime. Okay? We're always going to have those temptations. We're always going to have those desires of the, that the spirit. But the more we feed the spirit, the more we change the way we think to match the spirit, the, the less problem we have with the soul and the and the flesh will it all will it ever be totally gone i wish that it would <laughs> okay it will be when we die and we are glorified uh, the flesh will be taken out and say okay no more it's the sin nature now once we're glorified and we and we've gone through the resurrection and 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 or the rapture whichever whichever comes first for us we will have a new glorified body that no longer has the sin nature and the desires of the flesh so our body at that time will now match our spirit <laughs> and our soul will be cleaned and we'll have a no desire for the sin because it is taken away from us. But while we live on this earth, we have a body, a, a body of flesh and soul that battle against the spirit. And this is why it is important for us to get into the word of God, allow God to crucify the flesh, have a new way of thinking, and this is where it's important. I was talking to an inmate just the other day and, you know, sharing, sharing with him that I'd been married for over 30 years. And he goes, oh, wow, that's a really long time. And I'm going, that is not a, the way the Christian needs to think. The Christian gets married and it is for a lifetime because God says one time and, you're, and you stay married as long as you shall live. And you're joined together. Uh, I'm, I, I know people who've been married 60 years. <laughs> Once is what God says. You're, you're glued together for the time of your life. Now, if one passes away, you know, before the other one, they can get remarried, but it's still one, you know, at that time would then be once for the rest of your life. It's, this is where we're at with all of this. You know, the flesh is trying to battle against the, the spirit. And like I say, the flesh is just everything that is not spiritual. Uh, and it's just, it's a term used in the scripture to represent the sin just as when God talks about Egypt he's not always talking about the physical country of Egypt he's talking about the idea of returning back to the world system and Israel was always wanting to do that you know especially during the during the wanderings we want to go back to Egypt it was better there they wanted to go back to captivity back to the world and we as Christians have to be careful of that because sometimes we walk with God and get so familiar with God that we forget how bad the world was. And you, there was a reason we became a Christian, because we recognized how bad things were where we were at. And we become Christians. 
And we want to be very careful that we don't become familiar with God and lack and learn and stop seeing the world and the sinful lifestyle that we lived for what it was worth. And because Israel always wanted to go back. Let me go back. It was better back then. And that really means that our focus isn't on what it should be. Are we focused on what God has given us or what he's restricted us? And we look back at the Garden of Eden. <coughs> Satan came to Eve and said, you know, can you eat of all the trees of the garden? He started with the right thought. You know, and Eve's answer was, we can eat of all the trees except for this one. <laughs> Okay, she was focused on the one and only restriction God had given them instead of on all the abundance of what they had. How often do we do that as Christians? We don't look at the freedoms that God has given us in this world. We look at the, the few things he told us that we can't do. She didn't know about the beware of the, of the temptation. Um, she didn't know good or evil, so she didn't know about temptation. Right. She was told what she was supposed to do, so. Yeah, so she got tempted by the service. But even we, I mean, in our, in our case, that makes it even worse, though, because we know about the temptation, and yet we'll focus on not all that we can do in the freedom of Christ. We'll focus on all the stuff. We get stuck on the stuff, well, God, I really want to do this, and you won't let me. <laughs> Instead of, well, you can do this and this and this and you, know, you have freedom in all these areas and we get focused on whatever he tells us not to do. That's human nature. That's the flesh. But you think about this and this is kind of what the song Count Your Blessings is all about. You know, Look at all the stuff that God's given you and all the stuff that you can do through him and, and instead we oftentimes will focus on the things that are going wrong and the things that we don't do. And you know, if we'll focus on the good and we take God's picture on it, we'll go through things that we don't even realize are happening because we're focused on God we're not, and, and all the freedom he's given, not on the restrictions. You know, let's go back to marriage. You know, if, you're in a, if you're married to the person and God is saying, this is, this is where you get your fulfillment in, in your sexual activities and your, and your, and your thoughts, and then, but you're spending, well, wow, those, that person really looks good. I wonder what that would have been like or, you know, you're focusing on the wrong, wrong part of this. You're focusing on what you can't have rather than what you can have. And that's just one area, but you think about all the different areas in your life where you be focused on what God has given you and all the freedom and, and benefit of what he's given you instead of, but how often do we focus on what I can't have because for whatever reason you focus on what you can't have. And this is where, and then when you start focusing on what I can't have, you start getting dissatisfied, unhappy, and you don't, you don't find pleasure in what you can have because you're so busy looking at what you can't have, and you live a miserable life. And maybe even start taking it out on others because you can't have something, so you start taking it out on others. And it's a way that Satan will focus us on all the blessings that we have and say, well, just, just look at all that stuff you can't do. Now, let's, let's look at what you can't do. And we focus on it. And when I say Satan, you know, we've talked about this. When I say Satan, I don't, for most of us, most of us don't deal with Satan at all. We deal with his, some level of demons, because most of us are not important enough to be dealing with the, the head honcho of the demonic world. Uh, we, we all have some, and most of us probably have some really low-level demon rather than, a, than somebody really important. But, but we deal with the demonic world trying to refocus us on all that we can't have. And we need to get ourselves focused on the blessings that God has given us. We look at Israel wandering through the wilderness. They were being fed manna. Manna kept them from their feet from swelling, kept them from outgrowing their clothes, kept them from, you know, kept them healthy. With it, there says there was no illness found in them. What was their attitude? We're sick of this stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, great blessings from from God. And they're kind of looking at all the stuff they don't have. You know, God, we used to have onions and garlic and leeks and vegetables. And, you know, now, I think they over-exaggerated because they were slaves. They probably did not have great feasts, but they had some variety. But they're sitting there focusing on what they can't have rather than what, all the blessing that God has given them. We have to be aware of that because it can be so critical to us 
and take us so far from God when we start concentrating on what, what, what I can't do. When God's opened up this huge vista of what we can do. And this is what I say. The gate is narrow, but once we're in it, he gives us great freedom. You know, and if we want to walk the way of sin, it narrows down to a very, very narrow passage called death and destruction. Okay? Prison. Well, the prison, the eternal prison, hell. It narrows down. Whereas God says you come in, the, in, the, in that narrow path and you, you get all these pastures that, you, that he's provided for us. And this is what's important. Where is our attention at? If we are going to look at the negatives and all the bad and all the stuff we can't have and live in the flesh, we're going to be miserable. If we live in God and deal with the benefits and the blessings and that all that he's bringing our way, then we will walk in blessing. You know, we look at, you know, sometimes when we have something bad that happens to us, we can look at it as a terrible thing. You know, I love the example of Johnny Erickson Tata, who broke her neck at 17, is quadriplegic, and yet over these years, she's built up a ministry that ministers to the handicapped around the world. She has a ministry that makes, re revitalizes wheelchairs and takes them all around the world and just gives them away to all these people that need transportation. She has learned to, to be able to draw and paint with her by holding the brush in her mouth and write by holding the pencil in her mouth. You know, she, has done, she has overcome this and if you listen to any of her testimonies, she will share that the greatest thing that ever happened to her was that accident because it drew her so close to God even though she's had some bitterness and some complaints and hard times, she will say that the accident drew her so close to God that without it she probably would not have been as close to God as she is. Does that mean everybody should go out and break their neck to get close to God? No, it just means that was God's plan for her. You know, but God has a plan for each one of us and sometimes he draws us through some very hard areas to say, will you draw close to me? or will you pull away from me? And sometimes we make the right decision and pull close to him and we come out of it much better. Other times we reject him and we pull away from him and we suffer and we, and we look at that as a very bad part of our life. But even that God can turn around in the future and use for his glory because that's what he promises, that he will use it for his glory. All things work together for his good. And we may, and we'll see the glory later on, but you know, he will work it for good in some way. Even if we don't see how he can do it, he will. And this is where God's at with us. He wants to take and bring us inside him, grow us. He will give us tests that say, will we continue to follow him or will we, or will we pull away? And every one of us have had some test where we've pulled away. And every one of us have had tests where we've drawn closer, hopefully, on the second part. But I know, I know everybody has tests where they pull away because I, every book, every biography I've read of somebody who's great has that time when they pulled away from God because of, of something that happened in their life. And I've done it. So I, you know, I'm sure that everybody has that point where they've made bad decisions. Otherwise, they should be perfect and they can be in heaven. So everybody has pulled away and hopefully everybody has had those times when they pulled close to God and can know what it was like to be. Concentrate on those ones and realize the next time you have a hard test, draw close to God. It's our human nature and our flesh that says, I'm in the middle of a test, I want to pull away from God. And it's kind of funny to watch in a church because you'll see somebody who's very strong and active for God and they get to that point where they're starting to pull away from God and they start pulling away from their activity in church. If they sit up front, they start working their way to the back of the church. Once they've made it to the back of the church, they work, work their way out the back door. And then you call them up three, four, six months later, hey, what's going on? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I just kind of fell away. Well, come back to God. He wants you to come back to him. And once you've gone out that door, it's hard to make that decision to come back a lot of times. Because number one, you've got to recognize you made a bad decision and turn that decision around. I've done it myself. I kind of walked away from church for a period of a couple of years. Yeah. In my case, it was pretty easy. My, uh, my second oldest son came and said, can we go to church tomorrow? Had no reason not to go to church, so we went back to church and have been back since. You know, haven't left since. 
And again, I've told you, if anybody had told me in my teen years that I would have ever walked away from the church, I would have told them they were absolutely crazy. There was no way it could have happened. It was one of those places, and this is something we have to be very careful of. If there's any place in your life that you think you cannot fall in, get your thinking back together because that's the place you're going to fall because you don't put a guard on it. Now, there's no way I'll ever, whatever that is, ever is, be very careful because that's where you're going to fall. You're going to fall in your strength because God's not going to let your flesh hold you up. I've heard people say, I'll never commit adultery. And then 10 years later, they're committing adultery. Uh, I'll never you know, cheat, the, cheat my business. And next thing you know, they're being you know, kicked out of their company or, or, or arrested for having cheated their company. You know, whatever you have that you say, I would never fail in this area. I am so strong, I will never. You know, there are places where I think I'm pretty close to that. But I'm very careful because I have fallen in some of my strongest areas. You know, I can't see myself you know, becoming a drunk, but you know, I'm never going to tell God I can't because who knows? You know, who knows? I don't have any desire to drink, so it's probably be very hard, but you know, it's easy to end up falling in where you think your strength is because God will set it up that you will fall in your strength. All right, verse 15. Bring to know God is bringing on all this judgment in verse 15. Yet I will bring an heir unto you, O inhabitants of Merishah. He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. So we see here, he says, I will bring an heir. I will bring an heir. This is a messianic, messianic statement. He's going to bring the heir that will sit upon the throne and rule and the Merajeth is justice, and Adullam is uh, basically the crest of the hill, which is, shows the glory. And then he says, I will bring, and he shall come unto the glory of Israel. Jesus, the glory of Israel, the king that will, let, will sit on the throne, the heir of all. And this is Jesus. And it says, make you bald and pull you for your delicate children in larger baldness as the eagle, they are all gone into captivity from you. And this is kind of a strange thing that they somehow had this idea that while you're repenting, you pull out your hair. <laughs> now, and I don't know how much hair they pulled out when they do, but this is, uh, he's saying make yourself bald. He's saying pull it all out. And pull, uh, pull here means to shear. Okay, shave your, shave your heads basically. Uh, so he's saying in your repentance, go ahead and go all the way. You know, you get really repentant. You get rid of all your hair while you're, while you're in your repentance because you need to be heard and enlarge your boldness because you are, you, your children are going into captivity. Okay? Your delicate ones, your children, they're going to go into captivity. And this is who he's talking about. And in actuality, when he's talking, he's talking about their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, but there's no real distinction here in that word. Your your children. The patriarch was always the head of the family until he died, and all of the people in, in his family were his children. Whether they were his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his daughter-in-law, you know, whoever they were, when you were joined into that family, they were all your children. And then when the patriarch died, the next oldest male <laughs> became the patriarch of the entire family, which is why in, the, in their system of, of inheritance, the eldest son got a double portion. It wasn't to make him richer than everybody else. He was actually to set aside that extra portion, and he was to help maintain the family with that money. If they need, if he had a brother or or a grandchild or 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 a niece or a nephew who who needed to have their debts paid so they didn't get put into you know lose their property, it was expected of him to take it out of that money. Uh, out of that part of the inheritance to help that person and he was given that money for just that reason. It wasn't so he could go and live life luxurious, you know, more luxurious than his brothers and sisters. It was because he was to help them in any way that he had to and that was what he had a, that extra money for. And so here we're saying, hey, your, your children are going to go into captivity because God is seeing your sins not being repented. And he's saying, and by the way, they're not repenting either. Because <laughs> at any time, they could have repented and changed the, 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 the direction of the country. 
And this is why in America, we are now getting the government and the, and the country we deserve because we have not prayed, we have not led people, we have not, not had great revivals. We're getting the country that we deserve. Can we get this corrected? I kind of think it may be too late, but if we are, it is, starts with us. We repent. We, we get out and we, and we witness and we evangelize and we get a re revival started. We get to our families and we make sure that they all are understanding who Christ is and being, being brought into this revival. The only way that this world and this country is going to be saved is through a great revival. I kind of think it's too late for the world, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to get it turned around. I'm going to get this. I would love to see another great awakening in this country and this world. It'd be wonderful. I'm not going to hold my breath for it, but I'm going to do what we can to evangelize. I'm going to, we're going to do what we can to share the gospel with people to try to bring around repentance. The, the government's never going to rescue us. And the government, but on the second, same token, the government is not going to get so bad that it can't be changed, especially in America, from a revival underneath. If we got people to get saved and then take their, take their salvation with them to, to vote according to what God says and vote righteous people into office, we could change this country. The only problem is, will we get that revival? Will we get the revival? Will Christians stand up and vote according to what God says, not according to what somebody will put in their pocket? And, you know, and that's how most of them get elected. You know, vote for me and I will give you, you know, five chickens in your pot and, and ten acres of land and, you know, and, and, and uh, all the stuff you need to, to farm. You know, that's used, you know, that was the old way they talked about it. You know, let me give you, yeah, let me give you, give you. I'm going to give you these things. And as long as we continue to want the government to give us things, we're going to be voting the wrong people in. They give us a hard time. Yeah, yeah they give us a hard time. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come before you. We ask that you just bless us. Lord, help us to share the gospel. Help us to start a revival in this area and to in all the places that hear, hear your word. Lord, let's see revival spread across this world and be able to see a lengthening of days. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.